Hello and welcome aboard the Gallant Says Podcast on Friday, November 12th of 2021. I'm Paul Gallant and I'm back. Sorry, I've been gone with really no notice except for a cryptic Friday tweet that my computer wasn't working. That was bullshit. I wasn't feeling it. I think part of it had to do with the fact that I was traveling all over the place and really having a good time, but also feeling a little bit bummed out about the fact that I didn't have a daily show during football season. And I kept on procrastinating getting back into it, and I thought if I am going to start this podcast up again, that I got to be 100% into it. I don't want to be Ben Simmonsing this, like, I felt like I was at first with the first couple of podcasts that I did. I'd rather be Kyrie Irving and just fuck the lemons and bail. <laughs> so I'm back. I'm going to do my best to put these podcasts out, post them at a time where they'll actually be in your podcast feed by the time you wake up, whether that's on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. I don't blame you if you left some shitty reviews along the way. I would have left some shitty reviews too. Where the fuck have you been, Paul? Yeah. Great question, but I'm back. Fun episode ahead of us today. Finally caught up with Danny O'Neill, my old partner at 710 ESPN Seattle. We didn't really get into any drama. We just talked about football and some other things that are going on in the world of sports. We've added a couple of features for you to get in contact with the show. The Paul Galan Show on 710 was the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. I want to be the most interactive podcast that I can be. Galant says at gmail.com, you can send me an email. You can also leave a voicemail if you want, 781-452-4322. That's 781-452-4322. 781, for those who don't know, that's South Shore. South Shore, dude, from Massachusetts. A lot of stuff to dive into on today's episode. Let's go. A radio show host in Seattle called Paul Gallant. I was just kind of... Curious what Paul gets to see. You are definitely living in the hindsight world today, Paul. I gotta grow up, Are you kidding me? Paul Gallant, what the hell is wrong with you? The Gallant Says podcast would not officially be back if I didn't bring up some sort of pop culture reference right out of the gate. How many of y'all have seen the movie Goodfellas? If you haven't, see it, please. If you have, you'd know that the movie begins with three guys looking at a dead body in the back of a trunk. That body belongs to Billy Bats. Billy Bats is somebody who, at one point in this universe, was a mob boss. I'm guessing a very feared one. But he goes to jail. He comes out of jail and has a welcome back party. But if you notice that said welcome back party, there aren't that many people there for him. Yet Billy Bats has a big ego about him. And that big ego ultimately gets him killed. Go get your shine box, Tommy. When I think of Billy Bats, I see some comparisons that can be made between he and Odell Beckham Jr., who is now a member of the Los Angeles Rams. One-year deal worth up to $4.25 million, $750,000 salary, $500,000 signing bonus with $3 million in incentives. I mean, that's all he ended up signing for for a half-year rental in L.A. He's not being looked at, at least by NFL teams, the way that a lot of people seem to still think of him as. This unbelievable, super-talented highlight machine. And there was a point where he was that guy, much like there was a point where I'm sure Billy Bats was a mob boss to be feared. But that shit for Odell Beckham Jr. was five years ago. Five. 2014, 2015, 2016. He took the NFL by storm in a way where you thought he was going to be a lock to be one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. But then, things didn't go so well for him. And now he finds himself on his third team already in his career. This L.A. Rams team is going all-in this season, and they've been going all-in for the last couple of years. And maybe they're going to be able to untap all that has been missing from Odell Beckham Jr. over these last five years. But I think there's a good chance they won't. 
And I think Vegas even feels the same way, given that the Rams' odds to win the Super Bowl did not go up at all after the signing. In the five years since Odell Beckham Jr. was a god, and he was, he has consistently been injured. And that's a big problem. I'm not even talking about the guy as a teammate or the guy as someone who is willing to make sacrifices as a wide receiver. I'm just talking about the guy getting banged up. 2017, he sprains his ankle in the preseason. He breaks his ankle. Week five, done for the year. 2018, had a quad bruise, which he called a hematoma. So he missed the last four games of the season. Very productive up to that, up to that point, but he misses the last four games. 2019, he was on the injury report every week of the season. Groin injury specifically listing him on the injury report from week eight on and he has off-season core muscle surgery. Everyone thinks, okay, well, he's going to be back the next year and feel good. Last year, dealing with a back injury and a toe sprain in early in October, and then tore his ACL later in the month. And already this year with the Browns, he was dealing with an AC joint sprain in October. So the guy's been banged up a lot. And I know that you can't miss the constant conversation about the Browns being better without Ola Beckham Jr., no matter what you might say in response to that, say, oh, well, it's just a weird coincidence. It is true. They are better without him. The Giants aren't better without him, but the Giants are a bit of a mess these days. I can somehow see why Odell Beckham Jr.'s ego in 2018 after the season, his last year playing with Eli Manning had him saying, I felt disrespected. By the way, he has signed a five-year, $90 million extension going into that year. I felt disrespected because I felt like I was the main reason at keeping that brand alive. They were getting primetime games still as a 5-11 and 11 team. Why? Because people want to see the show. You want to see me play. That's just real rap. I'm not sitting here like it's because of me, but let's just be real. That's why we're still getting primetime games. Eh, it's a New York thing, sadly. Odell. Odell Beckham Jr. has been banged up for five years. Odell Beckham Jr. is someone, though, who in 2018 clearly still thought he was the star of the show. I can understand why in 2018. But don't you feel like he probably felt that way last year? The year before that, too? If you are still putting him on a pedestal as one of the best players in the NFL, you're fucking nuts. Or you just haven't been paying attention. But a lot of people still hold him on this pedestal and make excuses for him. Like, the quarterbacks that he's played with have been holding him back. I don't think Eli Manning's a Hall of Famer, but Eli Manning is average to good, right? For most of his career. I don't think Baker Mayfield's a great quarterback. I don't even know if the Browns should sign him to an extension given the way that the Jared Goff thing went down for L.A., but... I mean, he's, he's adequate, right? Meanwhile, you got DeAndre Hopkins in Houston playing for Matt Schaub and Case Keenum and TJ Yates and, oh, Jesus, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Brian Hoyer, Ryan Mallett, Brock Osweiler, Brandon Whedon, did I say him already? Tom Savage. I mean, the list goes on and on. And he's produced with every single quarterback that he's been with. Odell Beckham Jr. hasn't, but he gets all the excuses made for him. Is this because people seem to think that anything that happens sports-wise in New York is a bigger deal than it actually is? And that three-year run that he had, it was great. But it was a long time ago. And we're acting like the guy's one of the best wide receivers in NFL history. We can't say that anymore. And look, I suppose that there's a chance that he has a second-half resurrection the same way that Randy Moss did. I suppose that's possible. I mean, Randy Moss was 30 when he went to the Patriots after a three-year stint. 2004 with the Vikings, he's dealing with a lot of hamstring injuries. Still had 13 touchdown receptions that year, but only 700-something yards receiving. Two years in Oakland, they're an absolute fucking mess. And then he goes to New England, he plays with Tom Brady, he sets the receiver record for uh, touchdown receptions in a season. 20. Pretty impressive, right? Yeah. After that, not the best year with 
Matt Castle, but still pretty good. And then next thing you know, he, he doesn't last particularly long in New England when Tom Brady comes back from the torn ACL. But that year that he had, the first year, 2007, with Tom Brady when he was 30 years old, was an incredible season. And people had stopped talking about Randy Moss as one of the best wide receivers in the NFL at that point. So it's possible for Odell Beckham Jr. to vault himself back into that conversation, but he's going to have to do it in a situation where I just don't think it's going to succeed all year long. First off, yes, the Rams pass 65% of the time, but what's going to happen down the stretch where they run into teams that are going to be able to stop them because they're one-dimensional. Buffalo's one-dimensional. Josh Allen's been struggling this year. Patrick Mahomes is... And the Chiefs' offense is one-dimensional. Patrick Mahomes has been struggling this year. You don't think Matt Stafford's going to run into those same problems down the stretch on a Rams team that can't run the football? Cam Akers out for the season before it even began? They can't run the ball. I mean, we just saw it firsthand in Seattle with Russell Wilson and the Seahawks' offense down the stretch. They had issues starting to run the football in the second half, and they got way too obsessed with throwing the football, and Cover 2 beat them every single game. You're seeing this across the league. And I think there's a good chance that that happens down the stretch with Matt Stafford and the Rams. And I, I think that you're looking at a team that also has to divvy the wealth. And right now, you got Cooper Cup on the verge of a historic season. To this point in the year, Cooper Cup has 74 catches for 1,019 yards and 10 touchdowns. That's fucking nuts. It's a 17-game season. I mean, could he get to 2,000 yards receiving? Probably not, but he's off to a really good start. Robert Woods, meanwhile, 45 catches, 556 yards, and four scores. Odell Beckham Jr. is probably a better, from a talent perspective, wide receiver than both of those guys. But that did not matter in Cleveland. I don't know that it necessarily matters in L.A. I mean, they couldn't make it work with Deshaun Jackson, who's really fast. Maybe Deshaun Jackson's not the same guy anymore. Maybe he was dealing with injuries, whatever the case, but... Odell Beckham Jr. is going to have to fight for targets and fight for Matt Stafford's approval. He can definitely win it, but is it going to happen overnight? Do you really believe that with the way that Stafford's been successful with all these other guys? I don't know. And I don't know that Odell Beckham Jr. can handle being back in the shadows like he was in Cleveland. He's got a big ego about him. And it reminds me a bit of Billy Bats. And... Until he proves that he is that wide receiver that he was five years ago, that guy, to me, is dead. And I don't mean from the perspective of he can't contribute. He can't be a good player. But God mode, Odell Beckham Jr., Hall of Famer, Odell Beckham Jr., best wide receiver of all time, Odell Beckham Jr., that's not a real thing. And if anyone is pushing that, tell them to pay less attention to fantasy football and, I don't know, actually watch the game. Far be it for me to be a snitch or a fan of the IRS. But I wouldn't mind if somebody decided to open up the books of Rams general manager, Les Snead. Because what he's been doing, a lot of people seem to think it's genius trading just about every single draft pick that he can for proven players. And I don't hate that logic. I think that there's a lot of people out there that put way too much stock into what a first-round draft pick is from a value perspective. For the most part, 50% of the time, you're going to have a guy that's on your roster for at least four years, if not five years, and maybe he's a starter. But... If we're talking outside of the top five, top ten of the draft, I think your expectations for a first-round pick should be very measured. The Rams, they clearly feel the same way. That's why they've traded a first-round pick for Brandon Cooks in 2018, two first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey in 2019, two first-round picks for Matthew Stafford in 2021, along with other trades like a second-round pick for Sammy Watkins, a third and a fifth for Dante Fowler, a fifth for Aqib Tlaib, a second and a fourth for Marcus Peters, a fourth and a sixth going into the year for Sony Michelle, a second and a third for Vaughn Miller. I mean, they would rather bet on a player who's proven himself than draft a guy 
and hope that that person develops into a capable player for them. And to an extent, I think more teams should do that. But the Rams have done it to a degree that, again, I feel like needs to have some sort of extra investigation because I think the Rams are circumventing the salary cap. There are two possibilities here. Either the salary cap is a fucking mirage, doesn't actually exist, or the Rams are cheating it. We've seen teams do this in the past. I think it was the Denver Broncos who got slapped on the wrist back in the late 90s for some of the things that they were doing to keep their two Super Bowl teams together. Let's take a look at some of the contracts that Les Snead has signed his Los Angeles Rams players to. Three guys who aren't on the roster anymore. Jared Goff, four years, $134 million. $24.7 million in dead money. What does dead money mean? That's money against the salary cap that the Rams can't use. Todd Gurley, four years, $60 million. They give him that contract, and all of a sudden he stops working. They have to get rid of him. And they ate $11.75 million of cap space that they could have used in dead money. Brandon Cooks, five years, $81 million, $21.8 million in dead money when they traded him to the Houston Texans. These are guys who are no longer on the team. Now I'm going to tell you about all these guys who are currently on the Rams. And if they are able to keep things together after this season, please, someone from the IRS, do some digging because they be cheating. Matt Stafford has a cap hit of $20 million, then $23 million after this coming season. Jalen Ramsey has a cap hit of $9.7 million this year, then $23.2 million and $25.2 million. Aaron Donald has a gap hit of $14.4 million this year, $26.75 next. I mean, that's a massive jump for just those two players. Robert Woods has a cap hit of $5.8 million this year, $15.7 next. Leonard Floyd, a cap hit of $5.5 million this year, $20 million next. Cooper Cup, cap hit of $5.3 million this year, $18.3 million next. Uh, to a lesser extent, Rob Havenstein, cap hit of $5.2 million this year, $9.5 million next. Andrew Whitworth, cap hit of $5.6 million this year, $14.6 million next. He's going to be 41, and they can get out of that contract pretty easily. But the other ones, lots of dead money if they decide to move on from some of these guys. And I guess that they can keep pushing things down the road. But if they are, aren't they cheating? Tyler Higbee, $5.825 million this year, $7.676 next. Their fucking punter, Donnie Hecker, is making $5 million a year. He's going to get a little extra, I think, next year, too. Close to that. How are they able to keep all of this under the salary cap? And, and, and can you just keep pushing contracts down the road when you actually have to pay them? At some point, the Rams are going to hit a wall and fall off a cliff, and that is going to be quite the decline because, I mean, you look going forward, they're not going to have a, the ability to get cost-effective players. Next year's draft, they have a third-round pick. And it comes because someone hired Brad Holmes away from them as general manager, a fifth and a seventh. And in 2023, they have a second, a third, a fifth, and two sixths. How are you going to refill the cupboard? No, clearly they're just going to keep the cupboard that they currently have and keep paying those guys. But they have no way to get out of those contracts. And I guess you can sign extensions and move money around and move money to the back of the contract. But at a certain point, shouldn't this mean that they can't afford any of their players anymore? It better happen after next season. We better start seeing some guys leave. Because if that doesn't happen... and Look, Von Miller's contract, by the way, there's no cap hit. That's why I first looked at this, because I thought to myself, oh, there's no way that they can afford Von Miller on top of all this. Von Miller's cap hit is, some, is less than a million dollars right now. But all these other guys... And you would imagine they're going to re-sign Von Miller to some sort of contract. Maybe not the same kind of $100 million plus deal that he got with the Denver Broncos back in the day, but... The Rams are cooking the books. This is not some sort of conspiracy theory or me just hating on the Rams, who I hate. This is something shady as fuck. So I would like someone to look into this because none of this makes sense to me. I'm not some sort of financial guy, but it, to me, is clear that the Rams are doing something that should, at the very least, draw a little more scrutiny from the shield.
Russell Wilson is going to be back under center for the Seahawks on Sunday against the Green Bay Packers. And thank fucking God. I don't know if I could watch another game with Geno Smith in charge. Y'all know me as someone who really appreciates how awesome Russell Wilson is as a quarterback, but also is annoyed by just about everything that he is. I'm tired of him begging for wide receivers. Go to onlywidereceivers.com. He urged the Seahawks to go after Odell Beckham Jr. Giant eye roll. He wanted Julio Jones. He wanted Antonio Brown. He wanted Josh Gordon. Just give it a rest. You have plenty. You have Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. That's one of the best one-two wide receiver tandems in the NFL. Stop losing to cover two defenses, but I got to put my annoyance with Russ to the side. He's back under center. And he's going to have the Seahawks in the exact same spot that we have seen them for the last, what, five years? If you don't think the Seahawks are going to make the playoffs... I feel like you're a little too pessimistic. Look, three and five, they're way behind the Cardinals and Rams. And it's unlikely that they're going to be able to make up the ground since Arizona's eight and one and LA's seven and two. But remember, seven teams make the playoffs. Dallas is six and two. Green Bay is seven and two. Tampa Bay is six and two. And I think those five teams are clearly in a class of their own. But after that, who's really there that you're competing with for spot six or spot seven? It's the New Orleans Saints who have Trevor Simeon under center. They're five and three. They beat you, of course, so they have that tiebreaker on you. And after that, are the Bears going to go on a run with Justin Fields? Is Kirk Cousins going to be able to get back to what he was playing like in the first month of the season? Are the Eagles and Jalen Hurts all of a sudden going to be able to be more anything on offense. So they're going to be in the exact same spot that they were. And that's the problem because they're going to be in the exact same spot that they were. I know that the defense has played a little bit better over the last couple of weeks, but I don't know how much stock I put into that. And there's a part of me that feels like we're going to perhaps trick ourselves based off of any outcome that might take place on Sunday that could see Aaron Rodgers struggle. And don't forget, I mean, he's coming back from COVID-19 and we saw how that affected Cam Newton. He's, I would imagine, going to be rusty. And I think the Seahawks have a pretty good chance to win this game against Green Bay, even though it is on the road because of that. How is Aaron Rodgers going to look? I mean, that Packers offense looked awful last week. So the Seahawks are likely going to make the playoffs, and it's great that Russell Wilson is back under center no matter how annoying he's been off the field. I, I saw something else, too, where he is apparently he's, a, he's awake 20 hours a day trying to rehab the finger. Jesus, dude, just go to fucking bed. <laughs> recovery is good, and sleep is a part of recovery. <laughs> like, sleep, bro. <laughs> I mean, shoot, I, I, I don't know if, if he's a caffeine addict or something like that, but... If you take a look down this stretch for the Seahawks, if they can split these next two games at Green Bay, where you do have some sort of advantage going into that one, just given that Aaron Rodgers is going to be coming back from COVID, and then you have Arizona. The rest of the way, it's Washington, San Francisco, Houston, the Rams again, the Bears, that might be a little bit tougher with Justin Fields, Detroit, and Arizona again. Right now, you're three and five. Washington, San Francisco, Houston, Chicago, and Detroit. I mean, you should at the very least get to eight wins. Can you beat the Rams? Can you beat the Cardinals once? Can you beat Green Bay? I think you're in decent shape, even though this season has been frustrating, to say the least. And I'm really glad that he's back under center. Because that means also no more off-season Russ. Russ, when he's injured, I guess he's an off-season Russ. Because he's, he's, not, he's not playing. So, um, yeah, there you go. 
this is something I want to do more of on the Galant Says podcast. I did not do any on the first couple of episodes of it, but I want to bring some friends back. I want to have conversations with other people, seeing as basically I'm just in my apartment all day long talking to my cat. So instead of my cat, I'm going to bring back in my old co-host. The one, the only, Danny O'Neill. What's going on, buddy? It's, we just picked up where we left off. Like same, same show, different channel. Is that what's yeah. going on? We're on the internet, so we can swear now. We can perhaps do other things that we weren't able to do when working under the Mormon umbrella. Oh, I enjoyed working at Bonneville. I did too. I actually had a great time there. Great people there. I miss all the people there. So it's been weird not talking about the Seahawks every single day. I think there were times where when we were covering the team where it felt like pulling teeth, (laughs) trying to find an angle to talk about them. Now that I don't talk about them every single day, I have found myself wanting to talk about them every single day. I suppose it's wanting what I can't have. If you were to title the first half of the Seahawks season, whether it's for a book or for a newspaper article, what would you give what we have seen thus far as they are now coming out of the bye week with Russell Wilson back under center? Yes. One guy means that much. That, that would be my title. Yes. One guy means that much. That's how much Russ has meant to this team. And I think you saw pretty clearly how you're just not going to get over the hump, uh, with without Russell Wilson and with the long-term future of him very much a question in my mind I think it should make anybody very very leery of any scenario that doesn't involve keeping him in Seattle long term yeah and there's definitely I think signs that don't look very good for anyone not named Russell Wilson. If you're Pete Carroll and you heard him a couple of weeks ago say, yeah, obviously we need to have Russell Wilson out there. And I feel like Russ has been doing his best to put on a bit of a public show. And you've noticed it in both of those prime time games. I know he's probably going through his warmups before the game, but if he's not going to practice into it, the conversation is about Russell Wilson, just like this offseason. It was about how you think he's trying to get that attention. Don't you a little bit? I don't know. I mean, I can see that. I can also see like he's what else is he supposed to do? Like he doesn't really know what to do with himself. Right. Like he's never he's never he's never missed NFL games before. I thought it was weird that he was having a whole game like going through the whole game. But I don't know if that's any weirder than he was going to be on the field working out before, right? Like you're going to see him somewhere. It'd be weird if he wasn't there too, because people are like, oh, is he entirely unplugged? I don't know if he's got a right answer to that situation. His finger being the injury as opposed to a knee or an ankle definitely makes it easier for him to go out there and do those pregame little uh, routines. But I do feel like there's got to be a part of Russ who we know is pretty conscious about how he is viewed publicly liking that he can remind people, Hey, I'm not in this game. And those two games definitely went in a way where if we're talking about going into this year, whether or not Russell Wilson has enough around him, it's very clear that when he's not there, this team is woefully um, nowhere near the level of the best teams in this conference. I don't know if those games showed that though. Wasn't it, wasn't it a matter that if he's not there, you don't have the guy that can pull it out at the end, which didn't we already kind of know? I mean, I'm not going to say new Orleans and Pittsburgh are not the teams that you have to beat to, to, to make a super bowl run. So it's not like they were the best opponents, but Everybody that kind of felt like, oh, Russ has been propping this up for years. I was like, well, and they, they were in it to win both games. I, I think if Russ is there, they win both games. And in some ways it was kind of like, yeah, they didn't have a quarterback that was capable of making plays at the end. And well, yeah, that's because the quarterback they have who is capable of making those plays was injured. There was a lot of finger pointing at Pete Carroll in those two weeks. And I think it's, mostly from the usual suspects online who we are friends with some of them, but the pitchforks, the torches were a little more aggressive in those two weeks. I I, I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses for Pete Carroll. I I guess I was wondering along the way, Danny, 
what the hell is he supposed to do with Geno Smith under center? But I guess there are some that expected Pete Carroll to raise the entire level of the team without him. I think we're finding out, and whether it's last year with Bill Belichick without Tom Brady or it's Pete Carroll this year without Russell Wilson, that, yeah, you can be a great coach in this league, but if your quarterback's gone for even a week, two weeks, yikes, uh, you can't <laughs> make. Exactly. Um, That's exactly how I looked at it. Like, people were like, oh, my gosh, this team's uh, – they, 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 they've neglected backup quarterback. I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know does. what they have. And there aren't really good backup quarterbacks. It didn't, I thought they played fine. I, I, I didn't, I didn't think it was horrible. I don't, I don't think that those are two opponents in, in the saints and the Steelers that you're like, this really shows how that, that they're really formidable, but the defense wasn't as bad as it had been earlier in the year. They played well enough to give themselves a chance to win, and they didn't have a quarterback on the field that was capable of doing it. I, I felt, I actually kind of thought that, if anything, those three weeks showed that, like, yeah, Seattle's kind of at the same level it's been for these past few years, as long as their quarterback's healthy. They're they're not worse. They didn't they didn't backslide. I don't think they've taken a huge step forward either. But they're kind of what they've been. They just haven't had their quarterback the past month. You mentioned that level. What's the highest level that you think this team can reach this year? Because teams improve over the course of a season. The defense, much like last year, catastrophe at first. It's been all right the last couple of weeks. We'll see just how all right it is Sunday against Aaron Rodgers if he's back under center. <laughs> More on him in a little bit. How much better do you think they can get by the end of the year? Are we talking about the same kind of team we've seen the last few seasons? Yeah. I mean, they're obviously yeah. not going to win 12 games, but yeah, I think we are talking about the same kind of team, which is, are they good enough to win a playoff game? Yeah. And I guess you can sit there and talk yourself into, Hey, if their quarterback gets really hot, they can make a postseason run. But I don't, I don't think they're a substantially better team than we've seen in any of the past five seasons. I, I, I think they're about what they've been, which is as long as their quarterback's healthy, they'll get in the playoffs, but they're not in that upper crust of contenders. And because their quarterback hasn't been healthy, they might not end up making the playoffs this year. Yeah, it definitely put them back a bit. And, you know, you mentioned that Saints team. We'll see if the Saints are able to continue to scrabble together a very, very compelling defense with... <laughs> They got lit up by the Falcons, though. Matty Ice took them apart. Yeah. Dropping bombs out through the chimney down to Corderell Patterson. He took it to town. They might be in trouble. We got Travis Simeon, who's, I mean. Trevor Simeon, yeah, that guy. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe he's still in the league. One of many backup quarterbacks. Good for him. You know, earn that cash, buddy. Exactly. And they played him instead of Taysom Hill. I get Taysom Hill played some, but even, even, even Sean Payton has conceded that he's not a starting quarterback. That was probably the best thing that I've seen thus far is that Sean Payton finally gave up his Taysom Hill addiction. And for whatever, you know, for what it's worth, it has been working all right for new Orleans and in an NFC that looks pretty awful this season. um, It's definitely annoying that the Cardinals with Cliff Kingsbury still head coach and not head coach for one game seem to have, maybe not lapped, but taken a couple of steps ahead of the Seahawks, the Rams with Matt Stafford. We saw Sunday night that maybe he's not the best quarterback under the lights, but they definitely look a little bit better. There's that Dallas was the funniest thing. Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth going on ad nauseum. And it's like the second time they've gone through the, like Sean McVay really, really, really likes Matthew Stafford and how they sold. He had to sell and go and, Go, go and sell Cronky on eating all that money on golf to go and get Stafford. And Stafford throws that pick while he's getting spun around, <laughs> which was, was hilarious. Oh. And then threw a pick six. It was awesome. It was just, it was fantastic. I enjoyed that too, because you know, I hate the Rams. I, I, I think your hatred of the 49ers it eclipses my hatred of the Rams, but it was nice to see that still though, the Rams, they're a little bit ahead. They get Von Miller. Mm-hmm. I guess the other teams that we yes. talk about is being ahead of the Ron Miller's cook though. Isn't he? I don't like, think he's that good. Yeah. I do feel yeah. like we made a bigger deal out of that than perhaps we should have. Yeah. I'm not, I don't think that's going to tip the balance. It just kind of confirmed there. They're all. And then the Rams used a tweet of Teddy KGB saying we're all in. I was like, did you guys not watch that movie? Like Teddy KGB doesn't win that hand. Like that's not, not an effective strategy for him there guys. Um, this is, it's a, it's a gutsy move by the Rams. And I, I would agree. There's a lot of questions about the NFC this year, but I mean, if the Rams don't do it this year, 
And they're really, I mean, they've, they've set the draft on fire for the next few years. I, I don't know, man. That that looks to me like one of those teams that's going to play better in October than it does in December. Interesting. But, you know, we've said this about, I, I think, the Rams before. There is going to come a day where the credit card bill is due, and they have found ways to push it back, whether it's, I feel like, completely just going around the salary cap with some of the big contracts that they have on the books or with the draft picks. And to this point this year, it has worked. But I do kind of get that same vibe, especially after that Sunday night performance. See, I think it's going to bottom out for him this year because they're not even making a pretense of running the ball anymore. And I don't, I don't know how good at pass protection that O line is. And and Stafford Stafford's not that fleet. Of, I mean, no. I <laughs> Jeffrey Simmons is a really good player, but the pressure that Stafford was under on Sunday night. I, I really I think they've got an issue with their offensive line's ability to pass protect and the way they have to play because they've stopped running the ball. We've seen a lot of that across the league this year. I mean, mm-hmm. Kansas City's been having issues with that. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with them. Like it's somebody, weird. yeah, they're weird. It's Mahomes is always going to make funky throws. Like that's always going to happen, and it seems like some of those have 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 burned him this year and they've had some, some bad interceptions, but I've, I've always been like, I watch them like they've got so many weapons, but their, their offense just hasn't looked good. And maybe you're right. Maybe that is, maybe, maybe that is related to everybody knows they're going to pass and their offensive line isn't as good as it was in the past. And they're, they're just not able to protect him as much because the, the chiefs, that's probably the biggest surprise to me is how oh, yeah. bad they've looked on offense. Right. They can't get anything done. And it feels similar to what we saw with the Seahawks in the second half of last year. And, and yeah. you know, yeah, the, I agree. The Bills, you're actually seeing a little bit of the same too. Th- that has been, I think, the most interesting development. And I kind of like it because of all of these folks who seem to think that running the football has no place in the NFL. There does need to be some sort of balance. It's not necessarily a massive deal if you have, you know, um, you know, Derrick Henry is really the only exception as far as the, the one guy who you trust every single week. And now he's injured, of course. But I do think that you got to have a little bit of both if you're going to be able to make a run. And, you know, Tampa Bay, to their credit, we talk about Brady, but Brady had some rough moments. And <laughs> your favorite, Leonard Fournette, and that running the game that they had, it woke up in the playoffs. Is that going to be the case the second half of this year? I don't know. But that has been something we've seen this year where these elite quarterbacks that maybe don't have the balance that they need, they haven't been able to make it work. Lamar Jackson seems to be the exception, and he doesn't really seem to have any help around him right now. No, but man, he's playing so well. He is a hell of a player. I loved watching Jordan Love play. Like, <laughs> I, I thought that was that was the thing I enjoyed most of this entire weekend. Just the combination of, okay, the Packers, who now kind of feel like, see, see what we've been dealing with? Like Frank Gutekunst of all the people, like, yeah, you try talking to that guy and tell me how it is. And then they go out and you're like, oh, you get to see the quarterback that made him so mad. And, and, and he's, he's had a year to get ready and he gets out there and you're like, Ooh, Oh, Oh, this, that's not going to work like that. He looked terrible. Didn't you want Jordan Love to look good though? I, I kind of wanted him to look good because that would have been, oh, I didn't I care. The- I, okay. I, I, it doesn't, it, it would not have, if he had looked great, I would have enjoyed the thought of, Hey, they then look at moving on without Rogers and how sensitive and upset Rogers gets. But I look at it this way of like now green Bay has got that lump in their throat. Cause they're like, mm. well, we don't, this guy's still mad at us over him. And the guy that we made him mad over, he's not any good. Like we, we've got no good options here. And then Rogers comes back and now he's, the woke mobs after him. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know how, how he's going to perform in the, in the pocket, given the, the pressure, the woke mob is going to be able to apply to him. Yeah, no, I'm rooting for chaos there. So, but I, I enjoyed watching him stink. I thought that was fun. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers for a moment. So we go back to August and it was confusing when this all came out because there were multiple reporters who said that he had been vaccinated in August when in reality mm-hmm. at a press conference, he said, immunized he played a Jones game, though, right mm-hmm. he, he was asked are you are, have you been vaccinated and he said yes i've been immunized he right. played a word game like that's it's kind of the same thing that rolovich did when he was asked about 
are you are you going to get vaccinated? He said, I intend to follow the mandate. So I I guess there should have been more scrutiny paid to the exact words. But usually for the most part, especially when you've had like those reporters in Green Bay have had a relationship with Rogers that if you ask a question and you feel he answers it, like, I don't know. I did. I, I didn't end up feeling like I, I felt he was deliberately misleading to the point where you could say, like, did he lie about it? Like he was he, he intended to deceive. Yeah, I get the same vibe. And are you really that surprised when it comes to an NFL press conference by the deception tactics? Because the thing that annoyed me, I didn't really care about the Aaron Rodgers commentary about what happened because I thought no matter what he says, he's going to sound like an idiot. So I felt probably it's best for everyone if Aaron just doesn't say anything, maybe even for him. But in that situation, he put himself in a position where now a couple of weeks later, he tests positive for COVID-19. Everyone's going to come after him. I, I guess I got a little annoyed with the way that everyone expected him before he went on the Pat McAfee show to do some sort of dance and apology as if that was going to fix anything or change anything. Everyone seemed to feel entitled to the answer, but I did think like no matter what we were going to get out of Aaron Rodgers, it was going to sound like it was uh, farting out of his tuchus, you know, that any explanation that he possibly would have for why he made that move was going to be fishy at best. Yeah. But if he felt so strongly about what he was doing, why didn't he, either decline to answer it or answer honestly when he was asked about being vaccinated? It's it's a great question because honestly, I I, I think about that and I, I feel like he could have said, that's, that's my business. And yeah. this wouldn't be an issue at all for him. When you see a guy like that get put into a corner, even if he put himself in that corner, yeah. he's going to respond in an angry and hostile manner. And Dude, I it was probably- hilarious. The whole thing is funny. I mean, <laughs> it, the, Because he he ended up going on, and I I thought he, I thought he, I thought it was embarrassing. Like I thought he sounded very silly, and I thought he sounded extremely defensive. And the whole thing about some stooge from the league coming there to make him feel bad. He sounded. I've always gone back and forth about Aaron Rodgers. Is he somebody who I kind of like because of how sort of snide he can be? and a little bit passive aggressive and needling people? Or is he someone who always thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and that person's very, this answered that definitively for me. Like he's the guy who thinks he's the smartest person in the room. He's an asshole. Like that's, that's, (laughs) that's, that's, that's what assholes do, right? Is sit there. Oh, you haven't really understood all of this. I talked to my good friend, Joe Rogan and goes through all of these things and the woke mob that's after him. And, I don't think, I mean, I'm vaccinated. I'm pretty compelled by the evidence that's there. I also tend to think that our medical industry works it, it, for, for, the, for the most part. Like when, when you hear that the CDC says this is what you should do, I'm not, I'm not inclined to disbelieve them. So maybe I'm too trusting. But he needed to tell everybody how smart he was. He couldn't just shut up about it. Because for all the different feelings that people have about Rolovich, like Rolovich just didn't engage because he knew that like no matter what, people are going to get angry at me over doing this. So I'm just going to shut my mouth. And people still did get angry. For I thought he so took much. the right approach on that front too. And I remember when we had talked about it, I mean, what are you going to possibly say that is going to satisfy those who are coming after you? You're not going to really say anything that's going to make people think like, hey, oh, wow, he made this decision because of his personal beliefs or because of reservations. No matter what he was going to say, there were going to be a lot of people that were saying, well, it doesn't matter. He needs to be out of the job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. And like, there's some accountability that comes from it. Like you make a decision, there are consequences for your actions. Like you decide not to do it. I'm not saying that everyone has to be vaccinated, but if, if you get made fun of or you lose your job when it's spelled out as a requirement for your job, I don't know that I think of that as, I don't see that as some sort of tragedy. I think or vaccinations work. I, and, and so that was, that was the whole part as, as far as, disappointed or those sort of things. Look, you look across the country and there's a pretty wide and it's 
I'm not going to say it's no, it's common. Like there's a, there's a significant number of people who don't believe in or resistant to the vaccinations. I think that's silly. Some of them are resistant to the idea that they're being mandated and not the vaccines themselves. But like all of those things, I just, there was a certain amount with, with Aaron Rodgers. It was like, he didn't want to say what he was doing. And then when he did say what he was doing, he, be, be, because he had lied about it, then it looked even worse. And then he really went out and said what he was doing and sounded really, really silly. Just Frank Clark's brought out the Uzi and started spouting all sorts of things that now he's never going to really be able to get away from. I think the rest of the season, there's going to be talk about this, especially leading into, you know, this Seahawks Packers game on, on um, Sunday, which I imagined would be put into the big Fox window. I don't know off the top of my head, if that's going to be the Joe Buck and Troy Aikman call, but yeah, it's going to be talked about the rest of the season. And it's funny going all the way back to that moment. And I think you're right. Asshole is a good way to describe him. I wonder if you were to ask him point blank, do you think you're an asshole? What he would say to that? You think he would say well, yes? They never think they are. Like that's like someone who is that they never think they're like, no, I'm just like, that's he, he, what, what he did was I know best and how dare anyone tell me otherwise. And yeah, that's I, it seems pretty clear that that's that's what his personality is his it sounds like he is getting better which is great like honestly and i say that like it's a serious illness and for all of the different me disagreeing or thinking that it was it was short-sighted or egotistical that he decided his conclusions about the vaccine were were more sound than 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 what the advice is in the country i'm glad that he's getting better but people who have gotten COVID and gotten sick, it has affected their performance. Like, I don't know if yeah. anybody knows what he's going to. Remember Cam Newton last year? Cam Newton never looked the same after it. Now, I, Lamar Jackson's gotten it twice, and it doesn't seem to have affected him all that much or certainly, like, lessened his performance. But, I, I mean, that is – I wonder how it'll be, and he's not going to be able to practice. I guess he'll be able to be in the meetings all this week. Does the NFL suspend him? I it's hard for me to believe that you would based on it, but he was at a Halloween party. Like he didn't follow their mm. protocols for it. He got COVID, which kind of feels like a punishment in and of itself. Right. I, I don't know. It's weird. I, I, I don't, don't think, think he should him because What's you that? Don't, don't you, don't you feel like it, the NFL feels that it's finally passed being like right in the center of the culture wars, if you will, you know, go back to the kneeling with Colin Kaepernick, all those things. If they were to suspend Aaron Rodgers, I feel like a lot of people would start freaking out in the same way that they were, whether they watch the NFL or not. And I imagine a lot of them don't even actually watch it. I think that would be the big problem that the NFL would face uh, just all of a sudden becoming the center point of all of the attacks from those who are frustrated with the way that things are going. Well, one of the things is so there's actually fairly widespread support for the vaccine mandates. Like I know that there's the people that are against them are like very vocal, but like, there's actually like when you see polling results on the people in favor of them, like the numbers are in like 60 and 70%, which is higher than almost any other, what we would identify as a political issue. And as far as like, whether it would be unjust, it certainly wouldn't be more unjust than Brady getting suspended four games for deflate gate. Right? Like, I think both of us are on the side there. And it didn't seem, and it, it is different because you would have, you didn't have anybody that felt like their political identity was being compromised because Brady was suspended. It was just Patriots fans. But so sort of that, that, that part of it, I don't know how people would react. Um, and maybe, maybe it would put the NFL front and center and would give an opportunity for Ted Cruz and other politicians to kind of think they could make political hay over it. Um, I, I also, I just, my own personal opinion, he, he got COVID and he missed a game because of it. And he got sick. Like that's this, that's the scenario that you're trying to prevent. So I, I don't, I don't think he should be suspended over that. He certainly shouldn't be suspended over lying to reporters. Cause I don't really care about that. Nor do I let's go from one controversial figure in the NFL to another. And I've found the coverage of the Odell Beckham jr. Saga starting from his dad, putting up an Instagram post. That was funny. <laughs> Everybody hurts. That was hilarious. I loved it. And the weird thing about Odell Beckham jr. Is he constantly gets lumped into this, the worst Devo wide receiver 
conversation with guys like Antonio Brown. I think there's a pretty big discrepancy between the two. But I also feel like Odell Beckham Jr. has a lot of excuses made for him in a way that I can't quite pinpoint why. He was a big deal in New York. He has that awesome rookie season. And I do tend to think that when something happens in New York, it is perhaps turned into something bigger than it actually is. I would say if we look at Odell Beckham Jr.'s track record, though, this is a guy who has not necessarily been able to make it work with every single quarterback that he's gone with, where DeAndre Hopkins somehow has. Talent-wise, I think you would argue that Odell Beckham Jr. is a more talented player. He's faster. But at the same time, there's something about Odell Beckham Jr. that is missing, was clearly missing in Cleveland. And now people are wondering, okay, should the Seahawks take a flyer on him? Should other contender X take a flyer on him? What do you make of where he's at now, how good he actually is, and how much of an impact he would have on a contender? He's an incredibly talented player. I don't know how much he contributes to a winning football team. Right, He's made the playoffs once in his career. Well, I guess twice, but you can't include Cleveland last year, right? Because he was hurt. Right. The first time, too, was that game against the Packers where he had, I think, three, if not four drops in that game. And that was after the boat thing, right? Right. Like he and and the receivers went on the vacation on the boat and were photographed down there. And there was Timberland snow shirts and weird boat. So I think that would be a legitimate question. I think he's an incredibly talented player. I'm not sure how... I'm not sure how conducive he is to winning so far in his career, even when he's been extremely productive, like he, he, he has not been. And that there are lots of players, especially as a wide receiver, there's only so much you could do. But I think that the, you asked me who's the better player between he and Deandre Hopkins It's Deandre Hopkins. And it's not. Right. Um, should Seattle go after him? I don't see a significant downside. I don't, I don't know. It's for one year. It's just money. But the amount of upside that people are seeing, I don't see that either. Like, I don't see you're, you're going to add. What are the potential, the potential liabilities that would be there is that, okay, you've spent eight games trying to get used to the personnel you have and that you could hope the final nine regular season games that you're really able to build momentum. Well, now you're going to introduce another cog into that. So it's going to cause that, there's going to be a readjustment process as you try to reincorporate that into him. I don't think that's a big enough deal to offset the, the potential upside of having a player of that talent. And by the way, Seattle's done a decent job with guys who are kind of high maintenance personalities, that mega management type that other teams have shied away from. So I, I I could see them doing it. I just, but I don't see him being some big difference maker that it's puzzling. Why? In Cleveland, they looked so good when he was gone. It's bizarre. On Sunday, right? I mean, like, and and they were better last year offensively when he was out. Right. And I I've completely changed on Baker Mayfield. Like I used to think Baker Mayfield was a tool and that he wouldn't work in the NFL. I don't know how talented Baker Mayfield is, but I think he's wired wired right for the position. Like I actually think he's I I, I like the way he manages the expectations and those sort of things. And he hasn't engaged on it. There's not a lot of evidence that Odell Beckham like despite being open and all of the different things that were shown in that video that they've, they've struggled be, without him. So right. that would, that would, that would leave me for a huge. So if you gave me the choice of add him, sure. Add him. I just, I don't see the upside. I don't see the amount of upside that other people are saying. I think the biggest upside would be, it's a sacrificial lamb for Russell Wilson. <laughs> and you saw that story come out. I think it was from someone in the USA Today. Russell Wilson has Mike urged. Jones. Yeah, Mike, Mike Jones. Jones. He, he was he was the one that reported. Yeah, and then Florio also said it. But okay, so the idea that Russ wants him, you get him to make Russ happy. So, say Odell Beckham comes here and he catches twenty passes, and you don't make the playoffs. Do you really think that when the off season comes and Russ is like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do or where I'm going to go, that Russ is going to be like, well, I have to remember they went out and got Odell Beckham Jr. just like I asked him. No, he's going to say that they spent eight years neglecting the pass protection and I'm still getting clobbered. There's no way that he's going to give you the credit for trying to make him happy. Like it's only going to be based on, on, on the results. So I understand that thought process people have. I just think that when it comes down to it, 
this even if you this is not going to be some sort of deposit in the credit bank that Russ is going to say, well, I would request a trade, except I remember that they did exactly what I wanted with Odell Beckham Jr. No, he's going to find six other things to be mad about. I'm right there with you on that. But I also think about it from this perspective. Russ could look at this situation versus other situations and not say, hey, this is the Seahawks making good. This is, wow, I'm with one of the most popular wide receivers in the NFL and Odell Beckham Jr. Is that something that I would want to have around me going forward? I would think yes, because that but is- But Beckham's going to be a free agent though, right? So then you have to resign him. Don't you think they would try to resign him if they were to bring him in? I mean, that's Maybe. a, that's a, piece, that's a piece that would, I would have a hard time walking away from Odell Beckham Jr. If I were to make a claim on him midway through the year. Yeah, probably. But it would depend on price, right? Like you don't even know how he's going to fit. I, I don't know. That would be a long way. I don't think Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be the make or break thing. I, I think Russ wants it because he's like, I'd rather have him than not have him. But I don't think that that's going to be something that like impacts unless he comes here and it just catches fire and they win their final nine games and they go into it. Then I could see it happening. I just don't think that's a very I don't think that's very likely. Maybe you play him at defensive back. Huh? Yeah, exactly. They could use him there. Can you <laughs> rush the passer at all? <laughs> That's a great question as well. There's one thing I wanted to dive into before uh, we say goodbye. You tweeted in response to a Howard Eskin tweet a couple of weeks ago. Howard Eskin, for those who don't know, is a guy who works for WIP in Philadelphia, Fox in Philadelphia. He's like one of these personality slash reporters that's been a part of that area for a while in response to a story about Ben Simmons, who on October 22nd had planned to meet with medical professionals for an evaluation after telling the team that he wasn't mentally ready to play to his expectations. What's interesting about that is, you know what, he might have some mental health issues, but for Ben Simmons, there is a provision in his in the collective bargaining agreement for all NBA players that protects players' salaries for failing to render services if such failure has been caused by the player's mental disability. But Howard Eskin tweeted this. According to sources, belief by Sixers is that Ben Simmons is faking injury and mental illness. He came in today and said he had back stiffness and mentally not ready to play. Mental illness is a serious issue and the team is livid. Simmons went down that road. Team plans to find him every game. Weird territory to walk into if you're a team, if you're someone talking about this, because mental health is a thing. I mean, I have my issues. I know, Danny, that you have your issues. We've been open talking about them on the air. It is something that lots of, I imagine, athletes deal with. We saw Kevin Love write that feature in the Players' Tribune a couple of years ago. There are, though, some, I think, reasons to perhaps be skeptical of it, and it's weird because... Do you want to be the person that's skeptical or the team that's skeptical or the reporter that's skeptical of something that you really can't find the answer to on your own? You're never going to be able to go into Ben Simmons' brain and determine whether or not this is something he's really going through. And it would stand to reason, just given the way that this offseason has gone for Ben Simmons, no matter how much you might not like him, that this is actually something that he's dealing with. He is hated in Philadelphia right now. We know that that sports town is not particularly forgiving. And when you play like that in the playoffs, you sort of see the way that things are going down. But you tweeted in response to that. And I was curious as to what you thought of this entire saga, especially now as we're seeing that Ben Simmons is actually meeting with team doctors as of yesterday. Well, Eskin's initial report came before there was any announcement from the team, right? Correct. It came and he said that he has told team of a, a team source said that Ben Simmons has claimed mental illness was the exact wording that Howard Eskin used. That's a scumbag move. And there's no explanation or discussion of that. that's going to make me feel different. If someone has a mental illness, if someone has sort of a mental health disorder, should you report that? Like it, it, if, if you know that, if that person doesn't say they're okay with it, I mean, I mean, for years, the policy has been among at newspapers or publications that you wouldn't out someone's sexual orientation. Like that's their decision to make. And, and I, I kind of feel the same way about a mental disorder. I, I'm open about saying I have depression. If somebody were to talk about that though, without my permission, I think that's I think that's scumbag just in general. 
like to 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 pinpoint that without that person's permission. Now there's the second layer of this, which is actually the journalistic part of it. He's quoting a source who's saying not only is he claiming a mental disorder or mental health, mental illness, but that they don't think it's legit. So here you have a person who has not even told you that he has uh, a mental health issue, has not used the word mental illness to you. You're using, you're allowing a person to question the veracity of that and to say it's being faked without identifying the person that's telling you this. There, in, in my mind, this is a very clear-cut rule. You don't allow anonymous source to slag someone. If you're going to insult someone, put your name on it. Otherwise, I'm not going to be your veil. I'm not going to provide you some cloak of anonymity. I'm not going to allow you to say something. Like if you're going to insult someone, you, your name has to go next to that. Like you, you have to say that because otherwise, I mean, it goes back to kind of just basic tenets of fairness, like the right to face your accuser, that sort of thing. Like how do you unring that bell? How do you unring that bell? Like you can't, you don't even know who said it to him. So those would be the, the, the just in the specific, like why Howard Eskin specifically is a scumbag for doing that, which he is. <laughs> the, the larger question about Ben Simmons' mental health as it relates to his performance, those are, in my mind, workplace issues of Ben Simmons doesn't have to work if he doesn't want to. No one, in, no, no one here should be required to work if they don't want to. And if he feels that he, 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 he's not healthy enough or doesn't feel like playing, shouldn't have to play. The question is whether he gets paid while not playing, right? right. Which then gets into a collective bargaining agreement and, and go through that. So I don't, really, I don't really have a strong opinion about that one way or the other. Other than if you meet the criteria in your collective bargaining agreement for being injured, whatever that means, like however they identify that as a psychological diagnosis and you qualify to be paid while you're out, it's, it's, part, of, it's, it's part of the sick leave sort of thing. But the idea that we're going to get into weighing in who is and isn't what mental health means and the difference between I don't feel like working. It's not healthy for me to work. I'm choosing not to work and I'm, I'm disabled and should therefore be paid and, and given financial concessions to accommodate for a disability. I, th those, those are employee employer relation issues that I'm, I, I'm really not going to let me know if he's going to play or not. It seems like they've got a lot of issues that they need to work through and just get back to me when that's all sorted out. Is that something that you think is changing a little bit? Just going back to, you know, a diagnosis of something that may or may not be um, privy to the person, the source that's actually putting that out there. What How do you mean seen... it's, ch it's changing or that, that journal, I think the way journalism, journalism yeah. is changing. Yeah. Of course. COVID-19 in particular, this has been the first time where something that you would think a lot of players would want to keep to themselves, maybe they share it with teammates, maybe the team shares it with them. You would think that a lot of these guys don't want this stuff to get out there, that they had tested positive for COVID-19. Because mm -hmm. like it or not, there's a negative social stigma attached to it. I, I think some people will, you know, in, especially as vaccinations were not a thing there was a lot of rush to judgment about that person not being safe and you know you could be safe you could not be safe it's something that you could get either way so that is something that at least over the last two years we have seen a whole lot of where these stories come out this person player x has COVID 19 and i wonder if that opens the door a little bit for perhaps stuff that should not be getting leaked out that you wouldn't think would get leaked out a couple of years ago. Now, all of a sudden, we start to see it done in the way that Howard Eskin does it. Nah, I, I, I think that's happening in general. Like, you look at the NFL draft, there's more anonymous sources used in the NFL draft than there is in war coverage. Like we, <laughs> for, for whatever reason, and whether it's the level of competition that exists or the fact that all of the personnel news that gets reported by Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport and all those guys is, is generally unsourced, like we've just decided it's okay that you, as, as long as the people that cover the league tell you that they've talked to someone, I mean, hell, a couple of years ago, people were talking about Ryan Mallett having substance abuse issues when he was in the lead up to the draft, which I was like, that's ridiculous. 
Like that's that's a, like to be able to to talk about someone's substance abuse issues in 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 the media without having a source. I it's completely reckless. That's just happened. Like it, Jason Pierre Paul's X-ray of his hand should not have been reported. And that's not on Schefter because Schefter at least showed the actual record. But like those sort of things, like that's we're getting into. So my my answer is that's the direction that journalism has gone. And whether that's because of uh, the declining standards are due to competitiveness, the changing scope of media, we just aren't following the basic tenet of you shouldn't allow anonymous source to slag someone. Like, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Like if you insult or provide negative information, you should put your name next to it. Like is, if everybody stuck to that, this a, a huge part of this would go away, but there becomes this huge value. And then that opens the door for, for an increasingly slippery slope of people that just say, oh, I've got this person who told me this. And then it gets batted out there. And then you get called a scumbag by me. And I don't blame you for calling Howard Eskett a scumbag. In fact, I feel like it's everyone- ridiculous. Can you say- Yes, like, Danny, the, yes. The other thing was somebody said like mental disorder. I was like, a mental health thing is different than mental disorder, right? Like we're talking about very specific psychological diagnosis. It was like when Boomer Esiason was saying, I really think Jamal Adams is bipolar. Oh yeah. <laughs> Come on. Like that's, that's absurd. Now at least Boomer's name was next to it. So you could specifically call him the idiot- but yeah, yeah, that's that sort of stuff's ridiculous. Not ridiculous is having a Substack. Wow, what a transition, Paul. Danny, you have a Substack and you uh, turned it tr- briefly into onlydans.com because you talked to the other Danny O'Neill. Did you know I that did. When, you, when you go on Google, Danny, the name Danny O'Neill, if you search it, it says American football player, but the little thumbnail that comes up next to it is you. It's yeah, it's unfortunate for him. I really feel bad for the other Danny O'Neill. Yeah. He was a great sport. It was really fun to talk to him. Um, I love that article. Yeah, yeah, it was the funniest thing was when Stacy Rost, she, I'm not sure who she was talking to, but uh, somebody said to her that, well, nobody's really played football here. And she said, well, except for Brock and Danny. And like everybody's like, what do you mean? And she's like, Danny was a quarterback, right? And they're like, uh, no, which I always thought was the funniest thing. Cause I was like, Stacy, you've actually seen me. Like you should be more than, more, more, more than well understood. You're about. like Doug Flutie. It's yeah. Fine. Come on. Yeah. There's nobody could be mistaken me for a big level quarterback. So check out Danny's work on his Substack, Danny O'Neill. Danny, always a pleasure. We're going to do this again. And, um, Great to talk to you, man. It's been too long. It's good to talk to you too, Paul. Take take care. Thanks. I will. All right. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you doing this. I you bet, Simba man. The, I hear Simba in the background. Is this? Is I this know. Paul Sharon Pat? just got home. Oh, nice, nice. Well, tell Sharon I say hi. Um, and uh, yeah, let's do this again soon. All right. Sounds good, man. Take care. All right, thanks, buddy. Bye. A big thanks to Danny O'Neill and a big thanks to everybody who has been patient with me, who was stuck through it, who waited for a month and actually came back and checked out the. Latest piece of content that I put out there. I really appreciate it. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on Google Podcasts or on Spotify or on SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. It means a whole lot. If you want to get in touch with the show, like you got a hot take or maybe you want to ask a question that will play on the show, there is a voicemail number now. It is 781-452-4322. Again, 781-452-4322. You can also email me, says at gmail.com. It's been a blast. We'll be back at it on Tuesday. So long. Farewell. Have yourselves a wonderful weekend.